You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from, wait for it, wait for it, Greeley, Colorado. This is May 18th, 2021, episode 56 of season three, episode 121 of this podcast, at least officially. Today we're going to talk about a question that I just received from my neighbor, two houses down, J.P. Chavez, John Paul, if you prefer. Uh, Also, we're going to talk about Paul David Tripp's book, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leading in the Church. But first of all, let me tell you JP's question. If he doesn't mind, I hope he doesn't mind, I'm going to go ahead and just read the question because I think it's a fine question. So concerning guys like Keller, Platt, and Piper, there are points of doctrine we would agree with on, like justification by faith, but we would say they are in error on CRT. So Some would say, well, chew the meat, spit out the bones. I like that phrase, by the way. That's a good good way to put it. So where is the line or points where we say, yeah, we may agree with them on some biblical points, but they are too far in error on these other biblical points or unbiblical points to where we cannot recommend anything they have to say? That's a fine question. That's a great question. And I struggle with this because am I in error on certain things? You betcha. Am I mistaken on some things? Absolutely. Am I immature about some things to where I have a lofty opinion of my own knowledge and understanding and I don't recognize the gap and I don't have humility on that and so I just charge in where angels fear to tread? Yeah, absolutely, right? That's the case with all of us at various points. James writes, if any man doesn't stumble on what he says, he's a perfect man. And then, of course, we realize that that just isn't true of any of us. None of us are perfect. And that comes through in what we say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes our reasons are innocent enough and as often as is necessary, our reasons are not so innocent. Our motives are not so innocent for misspeaking or for saying the wrong thing or for being ignorant or being naive or even being downright mistaken, even badly mistaken, even dangerously mistaken. So then is there going to be a same standard of judgment meted out to me that I apply to others that I think are in error? I want to be careful about that. On the same token, I'm trying really hard to not be in error in serious ways. I try to keep guard over my doctrine. Even in this, I want to be careful in my doctrine. Now, I can tell you my personal opinion, my knee-jerk reaction, but I want to take a step back from that and not give that a kind of sanctity that it doesn't necessarily deserve. I think it behooves us to slow down and question is our initial reaction 
the most honorable? Is it the wisest? Is it the most godly? Is that what God wants of us? In the case of Keller in particular, other people have probably been introduced to Keller by way of his less controversial statements. I was introduced to Tim Keller with his remarks on social justice being biblical justice. So there's that. The folks that were introduced to him because he was just preaching on the gospel in and of itself, maybe that's still their first impression and it's easier for them to recommend one of his books, recommend one of his sermons. John Piper, I know a lot of people who think very, very highly of him and really appreciated his book, Desiring God. And then here lately, he comes out on the woke side of the fault line in the American church. And they're just shaking their head like, how could you write Desiring God and then be so mistaken on this? How is that possible? Do they stop recommending Desiring God? Do they donate their copy to Goodwill? Do they burn it? Do they what? Right? What do they do? Can you still recommend the good book that he wrote despite his later lapse of judgment? I know what my answer is, but I can say with all sincerity that I don't judge someone else if their answer comes up a little bit differently here. If they end up being a little bit more stringent, a little bit more strict, then I can understand reasons for that. If they end up being a little bit more permissive, a little bit more gracious, a little bit more broad-minded about it, I can understand the reasons for that. But my personal position on this is that I would not ever recommend a John Piper, a Tim Keller book to anybody that is not mature in their faith already. By reading one of their books, someone who is not mature in their faith, who's not developed a discerning mind, they haven't practiced testing the spirits to see whether they be from God or man, someone reading Keller or Piper might be taken in very easily by the deceptiveness of human philosophy, vain human philosophy. They might be seduced into believing some things that are very not true, that fundamentally transform our interpretation and reading of the scriptures, the way that we organize our churches, the way that we perceive and relate to God and one another, the way we see ourselves in contradiction to the scriptures. In other words, an immature believer may well read Keller or Piper and come away very confused. So I would never recommend even their ostensibly good books, good works, because now it's muddy. Now it's a mixed bag. And do you know the point at which they crossed over into this woke brand of Christianity? Did they only cross over when you realized they had crossed over and it became really blatant? Or did they cross over years ago, years before they came out and wrote some op-ed conveniently timed right before the 2020 election? 
did they make that transition and that switch well before the death of George Floyd and the rise of Black Lives Matter? If they did, then that thinking, that attitude might just be in the earlier works that you didn't realize were promoting a compromised view of the scriptures, God's word. It might just be that they've been compromised for quite a while and we can pray for them. It doesn't mean that they're not Christians just because they were deceived. If they were deceived, if they're not wolves in sheep's clothing, but while they're getting themselves sorted out, we don't have to go to them. We can go straight to God's word. I don't need to go to desiring God. I can go straight to God's word. I don't need to go to generous justice. I can read the Bible for myself. And that was what the whole Protestant Reformation was all about, wasn't it? I don't need the Pope to be the vicar of Christ. I don't need an intercessor other than Jesus between me and God. God has given his word to us to study. Some things are very simple to understand. The most necessary things in God's word are very simple and easy to understand. There's plenty of mystery in there. There's plenty that's complicated and difficult and you need to unpack. And We should have leaders and official authorities in the church there to help guide our doctrine and uh, keep watch over our doctrine and to contend for the faith, absolutely. But we should not embrace somebody and feel beholden to their book just because at one point we admired them. We just shouldn't. That's a dangerous place to be. There was a time when I watched every Mark Driscoll sermon I could get my hands on, and then Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington, since impacting, there ends up being a big rift, a big public to-do over his way of relating to people. He was seen as a bully, was portrayed as an angry, abusive leader. And so then he gets ousted. And so then, even if I'm not so sure that that was handled the way that it was supposed to be handled by the larger Christian community, I'm going to have some hesitation promoting Mark Driscoll and referring to Mark Driscoll and saying, you should really read these Mark Driscoll books. You should really listen to these Mark Driscoll sermons because there's a question mark there. Not a question mark necessarily of, is he saved or not? Is he a Christian or not? Does he love Jesus or not? That's not really a question in my mind. But there's a question of baggage. There's a question of, does there need to be a Mark Driscoll referral here? Or can we just go straight to the text, go straight to the source, where there's fresh water and there's no contamination? Paul David Tripp's book, I just finished up last night. I had a call out back to Jackson Lake Gas Plant. After I got home, my wife is finishing up making supper. I'm talking with her right about the time she's going to put everything on plates. And we're going to call all the kids to the table. I get the phone call saying I'm needed back at the plant to take a look at a, a fan motor. The fan is running really slowly, a lot slower than it's supposed to for what the VFD, the, the drive, is saying it's giving for uh, speed reference. So I ended up driving back to the plant. I finished up Paul David Tripp's book, 
lead, 12 gospel principles for leading in the church. And I couldn't shake one thing in particular from my thinking on it as I was reading through. And I'm just going to read to you a little selection from something he wrote May 27th of last year. So almost one year. We're talking about one year and a week or so since he wrote this and published this at paultrip.com. 26 Bible verses to consider when thinking about George Floyd. George Floyd. Say the name out loud to yourself. Not another name, not another statistic, not another news story. He is a man made in the image of God. Church, rise up. Silence is not an option. God has commissioned us to represent him in the face of injustice. Speak out. Lord, we cry for you to intervene. Help us. Consider for a moment putting your knee on the neck of a man who is pleading, telling you he can't breathe. It's not just injustice. It is stomach-turning, heart-sickening, murder. It doesn't matter what his record was, what he did, or if he resisted. Suspects are restrained all the time without injury or death. What is in your heart if you use your body weight to suffocate a man while he is pleading for his life? And what is in your heart if seeing it doesn't produce moral grief and outrage in you? Church, speaking out in the face of this kind of horror is not forsaking our calling. It is being true to our calling. Please take time to read the passages cited below and bring your heart once again into harmony with the heart of God. And of course, he lists 26 references, 26 Bible verses. And then he says, there are many more. Simply search the word justice in Bible Gateway. Well then, with all due respect, Mr. Tripp, why did we need this from you? If all we were going to do was go search the word justice in, at BibleGateway.com, I didn't need you to tell me I can do that. I mean, thank you, but it wasn't really helpful. Anyway, the Bible, which is your guide for life, makes it clear that justice is dear in the heart of your Lord. From cover to cover, Scripture speaks loudly and clearly. This question is, will we? May our hearts be tender. May we weep with those who weep. And may we rise up in righteous indignation. We have been too passive and silent too long. Okay. This is the guy that writes lead. Twelve gospel principles for leading in the church. This is the pastor. Pastor of 40 years. If I... Remember correctly, this is a call to action. This is a call to engagement. This is a call to activism. This is a call to speaking truth to power. This could have been written by Black Lives Matter and mailed to Paul David Tripp, for all I know, because this sounds very much like Black Lives Matter. Very, very much. Say his name. The problem that I have with this is that in reading his book, in what very, very little I know of him, I don't see any reciprocal call to action from a conservative political persuasion. What I mean is that it's very convenient these days to condemn conservative political action on the part of Christians and to say that that is corrupting the gospel which is delivered once for all. He even references from the scriptures in his book how we should not be getting involved 
tangled up in civilian affairs as Christians. We stay on mission. We stick to our calling. We stay true to what God has called us to preach, which is his word, which is his gospel. We're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ. So don't you go getting political and mixing in political activism. But then he writes this. So what is this? Well, that's a bit different, right? It's a bit different if your political activism is going to endear you to the left. If your political activism is going to endear you to the right, to conservatives, if you're espousing conservative positions, that is corruption. If you're espousing progressive positions, that is spiritual maturity. See the problem here? Do you see the double standard here? In the one case, we need to worry about our testimony. And in the other case, we're doing well. We're pursuing biblical justice. There's not a even passing reference in what he writes here to waiting for all the facts to come in. He saw the footage, and so he feels like he knows enough. And a lot of people were that way. It's hard to argue with the selectively edited and released clips that initially came out after the death of George Floyd. The media had the longer version. The attorney general of Minnesota had the longer version. They had the broader context that would have helped to calm tensions. It would have given people a little bit more of a balanced view of what actually happened that day with Derek Chauvin and those other officers and George Floyd. But it was selectively edited, selectively released to create the impression that Paul David Tripp articulates here. And I don't want to be judging him too harshly after reading this because I think about my initial reaction. My initial reaction was, that seems pretty damning. That seems like murder. Now, still, all the same, I immediately started questioning people that were jumping to conclusions about racist motives, white supremacy, and anti-blackness. Wait a second, there's nothing in that video that even implies this has anything to do with that guy being black. I mean, where are you getting that from? You're just getting it from the fact that he is black and the officer is white. And so therefore this is a white versus black thing. That's not strong. That's not compelling. That's not sound. Didn't matter. I got shouted down. I got berated. I got abused by friends and family who had bought into this and just could not help themselves. They had to affirm the momentum of the moment. But that's the problem, right? Tripp writes a book about leadership. He wasn't leading here. He was following. He was following the siren song of the left. It was a trap. It was baited. The rewards were that he got to seem entirely relevant and brave and courageous in the moment. He says, consider for a moment in his third paragraph, putting your knee on the neck of a man who is pleading, telling you he can't breathe is not just injustice. It is stomach-turning, heart-sickening murder. It doesn't matter what his record was, what he did, or if he resisted. Now, wait a second. That's not true. That's not biblically valid. You're a naive person who doesn't know about law enforcement restraint techniques. 
who's obviously not even familiar with what the Bible has to say about the governing authority in Romans 13. He does not bear the sword for nothing. He does not bear the sword for nothing. That's a threat. That's a threat of physical violence, perhaps even mortal violence, if you don't obey the governing authority. He has the authority to punish you or even to put you to death if you are unruly, disobedient, unresponsive, a lawbreaker, violent. Now, you can be heartbroken that that sometimes happens, that that sometimes needs to happen. You can question whether, in fact, that needed to happen here, but it does matter what his record was and what he did. And if he resisted, it does matter, actually. It matters immensely. But it doesn't matter that it matters because there's a brownie point to be gained with the woke brand of Christianity if you virtue signal here. And that's what this is. This is virtue signaling. So the question now becomes, why did I read his book? Well, for one, I read his book because people that I respect recommended it to me. And so now, as I'm reading his book, even when there are pieces of what he has to say that I'm not so sure that's correct or good or helpful, that's pretty open-ended to where that could be taken a couple of different ways. You're leaving yourself an out by refusing to be precise in your language, as precise in your language as the scriptures are precise. Why are you doing that? Is that because you want to be ambiguous, because the publishing company wants you to be ambiguous on that because we don't want to offend certain readers of a certain persuasion politically? Is it because your marketing guy said we need to massage this passage, this paragraph, this chapter a little bit? It comes off as a little bit offensive, a little bit out of step with the right side of history that we're all trying to be on right now. Paul, it's a good book. It's really good, but it could be better. In the section where you talk about leaders in the church and what glowing reviews could be written of various leaders in the church about their motives, about their conduct, about their consistency, your whole list is male-centric, when you're talking about leaders in the church, you're only talking about men. You need to change that. It needs to be gender inclusive. Well, yeah, I have concerns about gender inclusivity. I, right, right. No, of course you do. Of course. But don't call it that. Call it whatever you want, right? Say you're trying to not be sexist. How about that? Is that good? Is that better? Just try and work in an every other. So you give the girls and the boys equal playtime. He is not like this. She is like that. He is like this. She is not like that. Right? Just go every other. Because women have every much right, every every bit as much of a right to be leaders in the church as men do. Right? I mean, right? You You can't go contradicting core tenets of feminists, egalitarianism, right? So then he writes that extended passage like that, and he doesn't call it being gender inclusive, but that's exactly what it is. That's the term for it. 
That's the du jour flavor of the month zeitgeist term for it. And then later towards the end of the book, he's going after toxic masculinity in male leadership in churches. But of course, he doesn't call it toxic masculinity. But of course, when you know the definition of toxic masculinity and that concept, he's describing toxic masculinity. So he doesn't call it that, but that's what it is. We don't need this macho martial arts style pastor who's a bully, who acts like a king instead of a servant, who commands, who has authority, who's achievement-oriented, who's confrontational, who makes other people feel less, who's sexist, who marginalizes the gifts of the women in ministry in his church. Did I mention that we can't have sexist pastors? Let me say it again. You can't do that. You can't have sexist pastors. right? He emphasizes it by repetition towards the end of his book. Now, I'm not saying that we should have sexist pastors, but I am saying that it's very convenient when you pick your battles to pick all of the battles that the left is going to affirm you for, that the mainstream media, popular culture is going to have their ears tickled when you address. Be vague where it's convenient to be vague so that you don't offend certain people who matter more to you than the truth, precisely. Emphasize certain things because that gives you a lever. It gives you a cudgel. It gives you the ability to push against the enemies of the left in our culture. Go after the things that the left cares about. Go after the people that the left is upset with. Conservatives, for instance. Pick your battles, choose them carefully. But I think we ought to ask ourselves when it comes to the leaders in today's American church, the people that are prominent, that get the most airtime, that get the most book deals, whose books you see most often in the religion and spirituality section at Walmart. <laughs> Why do those guys get published? Have you thought about that question? Why is it that their book gets promoted like that? Why is it that their book surges to the top of the New York Times bestseller list? It's not accidental. And it's not organic. They get buy-in from corporations, even Christian publishing companies, that people who are saying hard truths never will. So if we're recommending their work because it's going to be easy for people to get a hold of because... There's a million copies of it out there somewhere. Careful. Slow down. Argumentum ad populum. Logical fallacy. Just because something's popular does not make it true. And again, do we need to go to Paul David Tripp to learn about leadership in the church? Everything good that he had to say in his book is true regardless of whether he said it. It was true before he said it. It's in the scriptures if it's true. Or it's self-evident, if it's not, he just repackaged something that is out there in lots of different quarters. He repackaged it and he slipped a few other things in. He, he's, I, I'll be completely upfront with you. He slips a few turds into the brownie mix. It doesn't mean the whole thing is inedible. But then again, it does. The scary thing is that 
for us to apply that same kind of a standard of judgment towards Paul David Tripp in his book, if we're consistent, Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged with the same measure of judgment that you mete out to others it will be meted out to you. But he also says, don't judge by appearances, judge with right judgment. What is right judgment? Right judgment is judging according to God's word. Why do I have a problem and a concern with his stance on the George Floyd death? Because for one thing, it reminds me too much of the Pharisees who announce they're giving with tambourines and horns, who pray on street corners so they can be heard by men. It reminds me too much of that. It's a little bit too polished and a little bit too convenient and a little bit too comfortable, a little bit too popular to take a stand for justice when the left wants you to, to punch conservative Christians in the nose with these vague passive-aggressive allusions to their brand of Christianity. When you don't have anything concrete to rebuke them for, refer to them as macho martial arts style pastors call them sexist. Who exactly are you talking about? This is like nailing jello to the wall. Who's the macho sexist pastor? I mean, is that Paul, the apostle, when he says, I don't permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but she's to keep silent in all the churches. She has a question she can ask her husband when she gets home. Is the apostle Paul one of those macho martial arts pastors? Your definition is so broad as to be practically useless. It's so vague as to be practically useless. Why emphasize that? Well, because it's convenient, because it's useful. And why are you popular again? Well, once again, because it's convenient, because it's useful. It's convenient and useful for you to be popular if you never challenge the left. You only always challenge the opponents of the left in the church. It isn't that you have a problem with political activism or political engagement. It's that you have a problem with conservative political activism, engagement. John Piper and Tim Keller come out and say, yes, the Bible tells me that abortion is wrong, it's a sin, it's evil, but it doesn't tell me how I need to vote in order to bring an end to abortion doesn't tell me that I can't vote for a Democrat because of abortion. Hmm. Interesting. What was all that business about how incensed we should be over murder in the case of George Floyd, how active we should get because George Floyd died while in police, police custody, while being restrained by a police officer? What, what was all that about murder? How about you go to abort73.com and come back when you're done, and then you tell me that the Bible doesn't tell you how you need to vote when one party's platform embraces, affirms, celebrates, protects, funds, subsidizes abortion, promotes it, not just at home, but abroad. The other party's platform, at least, not that the individuals within the party are always consistent, but that's always been the case. That's always the case everywhere, always. It's not a uniquely Republican problem. That's a human problem. That's a human organization's problem. That party's platform takes a strong, firm stance against abortion. But tell me again how you don't know how to vote and how it's not a good testimony if 
Christian leaders, Christian lay people are saying, we need to vote this way because of this, because it's really, really simple. I'm sorry that you live in a city where it's more convenient for you to promote Democrats or to flirt with Democrats, to flatter them, to show favoritism so as to gain an advantage with Democrats. I'm sorry that you live in a city where that is so tempting. No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not put more on you than you are able to bear. I can't recommend your books, except to those Christians who know better already and are going to be able to read what you said and double-check it. They're going to be Bereans about it. Everybody else, I would advise to steer clear. Just like rated R on a movie. Am I going to watch a rated R movie with my five-year-old kiddo who doesn't have the discernment to recognize when this is a portrayal of violence that they should emulate and when this is a portrayal of violence that is part of the story but it is not good. So also with Keller and Generous Justice. So also with Piper and even Desiring God at this point. I don't need to read Desiring God in order to know that I should desire God. Read the text for yourself. You don't need to fall into the same temptation that got the Roman Catholic Church popes and bishops and councils whose word was taken as equal or even greater in authority than the clear meaning of Scripture. You go looking for Tim Keller's, Paul David Tripp's, to tell you what God said You're like the children of Israel, wanting Moses to be an intercessor. No, 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 we don't want to hear from God directly. How about you tell us what he said? And cover your face, too. When you're around him, you have this weird glow thing we find unsettling. Same thing. No temptation has seized you, but that which is common to man. But God is faithful. People are people. That's all I've got. That's all I have to say for this episode. I will actually... You know what? Second thought before I go. I will say this. I was talking with my cousin Micah about this whole business. He asked me a question. And it's an interesting question. It's an interesting way to frame the issue. He said, imagine you and Lauren were dating again. And you're not married, but you find out she's reformed. She's a Calvinist. Would you still marry her again? Well, yeah. Yeah, I would. Okay. All right. Let's say she was a woke Christian. Would you still marry her? Ooh. Um, Got to think about that a little bit harder. I would, of course, if her woke Christianity had not so totally consumed her ability to talk about these things. I think another question to ask here is not just... What do we think of the brand of Christianity that people like Keller and David Platt and Paul David Tripp and John Piper increasingly are espousing? What do we think about the genuineness, the tested genuineness of their faith? But do they recognize us as being Christians truly and really to their followers in the woke Christian camp on that side of the fault line, do their followers see us as brothers or do they recognize us as having a different spirit? 
Read J. Gresham Machen's Liberalism and Christianity and take a look at how very, very clear he is. He comes out very, very clear, refreshingly clear, in saying that liberal theology, liberal Christianity is a false gospel. Let me tell you now, woke Christianity is a false gospel. Paul even says at one point, the Apostle Paul says at one point, even if I or an angel come to you preaching a different gospel, don't believe it. So the Apostle Paul can imagine, presumably, a scenario in which he falls off the path. He goes astray. He starts promoting things and preaching things that are not true. Even Satan can appear as an angel of light. We need to be very discerning. We need to be discerning when it comes to how we take things from people whose credibility has come into question. We also need to be very careful if we warn people about those folks. We need to be careful to not go beyond what is appropriate. So really, truly this time, I mean it. I'm going to leave it there. That's all we've got for this episode. Let me know what you think. Hopefully I've answered the question at least to a better extent than uh, I was able to last night. JP, thank you again for the question. If anybody's got a follow-up question, comment, concern, objection, complaint, refutation, insight, let me know. Reach out. But as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.